This is Living Lean, the show that teaches you how to apply the science of nutrition and training to sustainably create your leanest, strongest body and build the most confident version of yourself. I'm your host, Jeremiah Bear. Let's get into the show. What is good? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am coming at you with some improved sound quality, hopefully some improved sound quality. I have this dope new like boom arm, so ideally, you won't be able to hear me constantly tapping on my desk because I talk with my hands too damn much like normal, but if the sound quality is still bad, I apologize. Anyways, none of that is related to today's show. So today, we're diving into the rapid fat loss protocol. So... In my eyes, this belief that slow and steady fat loss is best, which is something you hear all the time, is very flawed. And honestly, from my experience, this thinking that people should only lose fat slowly is the very thing that's keeping people unhealthy. See, there's a dated train of thinking around fat loss that goes something like this. If you care about your or your client's health and or keeping your results long-term, you must lose weight slowly. But really, as an online nutrition coach, I've seen the exact opposite time and again with my clients. The overly conservative approach to fat loss is exactly what's been keeping so many new clients with higher body fat and often less healthy or are often less healthy than they could be, I should say. Um, this overly conservative approach to fat loss is what's keeping them stuck in that position. So in today's podcast, we're going to be dispelling a couple myths around slow versus fast fat loss and teaching you how to crush a rapid fat loss phase to achieve the lean, strong physique you're chasing sooner rather than later, if you're a good fit for a rapid fat loss approach. All right. So first myth we are going to bust here is rapid fat loss slows your metabolism more than conservative fat loss, which is something you've undoubtedly heard many times. Now, as a listener of this podcast, you have no doubt, you no doubt have a good understanding of what your metabolism consists of. It's one of my favorite things to nerd out about. But basically, it's the total calories your body burns in a day and is... Well, we'll dive into the components quick. It's your basal metabolic rate, which is just your calories you burn at rest, non-exercise activity, which is calories burned outside exercise through things like pacing, fidgeting, blinking, doing the laundry, walking your dog, whatever. Um, digestion or the thermic effect of food, so calories burned during digestion, and then calories burned during exercise. Those are the components of your metabolism. So in a nutshell, we can say it's the total calories your body burns in a day as a product of your current body size, how much you're eating, and how much you are moving. So as you probably gathered, and again, if you listen to this podcast, you know your metabolism will slow as you lose fat. You're smaller, so therefore your body burns fewer calories at rest. You're eating less, your body burns fewer calories through the thermic effect of food. A smaller body means that less calories are burned through both NEAT and through exercise. So basically, it takes fewer calories to move your smaller body. And finally, eating fewer calories equals less energy, which often, again, equals you just aren't able to train as intensely and you have less energy to devote to NEAT. So subconsciously, we'll see this downregulation in energy expenditure through both knee and the intensity in your training. Now, so basically your body weighs less and therefore takes less energy 
or calories to move. And the only way to avoid this would to be not losing weight, which of course is a little bit counterproductive for fat loss. Now again, as your body needs less fuel, aka calories, to sustain the smaller version of itself, you'll also have to eat a bit less to continue losing fat, which means you're burning fewer calories during digestion. But again, eating less is a requirement for most to lose fat, so this is unavoidable. Now, we could argue that eating in a smaller deficit equals a faster metabolism due to increased calories burned during digestion. This is true. And again, this is often, the thing with metabolism is it gets very convoluted. We could really say like most anything increases or decreases your metabolism. If you start following a training program, it increases your metabolism if it has you moving more than you were previously. There's nothing magical about that. Um, Eating, like starting a diet slows your metabolism strictly because you're eating fewer calories. So you burn fewer calories during digestion. There's so many like little people (laughs) very much use this in marketing constantly. Um, but really metabolism is so simple and we, there's so many like little nuances we could take advantage of, but, um, regardless of that, again, like the fact that you have a faster metabolism, if you're eating more in a diet due to increased calories burned during digestion is true, but a smaller deficit also means slower fat loss and more overall time spent in a calorie deficit before you can return to eating more food long-term. Now, a more aggressive approach, well, your metabolism will be slower during the diet because yes, you are eating less, but it also leads you to being able to increase calories to a healthy new maintenance level long-term sooner. So many clients start coaching with me because not because they've had trouble losing fat in the past, but they've ha- but because they've had trouble keeping it off. One of the main things I do is get clients to the to the physique that they want, get you to the physique that you want to maintain long-term, and then we actually take some time to practice maintenance and cement that. Now, many of my clients, I would rather get them to maintenance and practicing maintenance sooner rather than later. So if we can get the fat off you in two to three months instead of four to six months, absolutely we'll do it if you're you're in a good place for a rapid diet. So again, just a more aggressive approach will allow you to get back to maintenance sooner rather than later. So to achieve your goal body composition, your body will eventually have to get smaller and you'll have to decrease food intake, meaning that two of the three major components of metabolic adaptation, which is this process of your metabolism slowing as you eat less, move less, as you diet, are inevitable, whether you go fast or slow. So essentially what I'm saying here is, Your metabolism to go from point A to point B, regardless of if you go fast or slow, eventually your body will have to lose X amount of weight. Eventually you'll have to decrease food intake to X amount. And so regardless if we go fast or slow, a very, 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 very similar amount. And again, Brandon Roberts and I talked about this on our podcast a couple weeks ago talking about diet breaks and refeeds. But it's very likely that a nearly identical amount of metabolic adaptation will happen going from point A to point B. Let's say you have to lose 20 pounds. A very similar amount of metabolic adaptation will happen across the diet, whether you do that fast or slow. With the fast approach, well, your metabolism will be slightly slower during the process 
you'll be able to get back to eating more, therefore having more energy, and therefore burning more calories through both movement and the thermic effect of food sooner. If you diet slower, yes, you will have a quote-unquote faster metabolism during the progress process because you're eating more, but you'll likely have to diet a lot longer. So you have a lot more overall time in the deficit and longer period of time until you can eat more in the long term, practice maintenance, and kind of permanently increase your calories to a level that better fuels your body and your health, which is really the point that I'm trying to make here. So the wild card here is really your movement. Now it makes sense that eating a large deficit would lead to your body putting tighter clamps on calories burned through movement in order to preserve more calories than a smaller deficit. So regardless of your deficit size, hitting a daily movement goal is an important piece of the puzzle. And this is why I have every single client that works with me that's chasing a fat loss goal, most every client I should say, that works with me chasing a fat loss goal, track their movement. Because otherwise you will see a big decrease in movement um, if we're not taking that into account. And that's where I potentially see like a larger deficit becoming a problem outside of adherence, which is another big thing we need to mention here as well. But if it decreases your movement a drastic amount, you just can't train hard at all. You start losing muscle because you can't train hard. So we kind of want to tiptoe that line, which is something we'll talk about again in a second. But also remember here that you're creating a larger deficit. So while some increased reduction in subconscious energy expenditure might happen, it's likely not going to be enough to cancel out the fact that you're in a larger deficit and losing fat quickly. But again, it's crazy important here that you are a tr- that you are tracking movement. And again, this will allow you to return to maintenance calories sooner than on a less aggressive diet, meaning your calories burned th- through digestion and movement will be increasing again sooner. So again, essentially the same amount of metabolic adaptation will happen whether you take a faster, slow approach to fat loss. The flawed thinking here is, People only see, okay, aggressive dieting equals a slower metabolism than less aggressive dieting. Why would I do something that slows my metabolism? But we fail to consider how much your metabolism is constantly in flux, depending on how much you're eating. So really, most people are only seeing part of the picture when the whole picture is eating less does equal a slower metabolism, but also quicker fat loss, which equals eating more, being done with dieting, and creating a faster metabolism again sooner all right myth number two rapid fat loss causes much more muscle loss now most of us have worked incredibly hard for every bit of lean muscle on our bodies i know i have i know that all of my online clients have so this is a completely understandable fear and the reality is as you feed your body fewer calories it turns internally for energy and one potential energy source here is your muscle protein so Muscle loss is a very real possibility if you're eating fewer calories than you're burning. That said, it's not the inevitability that most people seem to think it is when it comes to aggressive dieting. It just comes down to taking a smart approach to aggressive dieting. So there's a couple studies that I wanted to bring up to prove my point here. The first one was titled Body Composition and Power Performance Improved After Weight Reduction in Male Athletes Without Hampering Hormonal Balance. And they chose an absolute mouthful of a title for that one. So in this study, some already lean track and field athletes, I believe the average was like 10 to 12%, were split into two groups. One group was in a 12% deficit 
and one group was in a 24% deficit. Both groups were following a high protein diet and training, but after four weeks, the larger deficit group had lost much more fat than the smaller deficit group, but had also maintained a very similar amount of muscle. So again, this isn't just in like obese individuals. These were already lean track and field athletes. Um, and the second study, which was titled higher compared with lower dietary protein during an energy deficit combined with intense exercise promotes greater lean mass gain and fat mass loss, a randomized trial. This is a study from 2016 and damn, somebody needs to work with <laughs> Somebody needs to work with these people on writing better titles. But in this study, men approximately 23 years old were in a 40% calorie deficit, aka a big-ass deficit. They followed a high-protein diet and lifted weights, and they were actually able to build a good amount of muscle. So while a more aggressive diet does put you in a situation where you could potentially lose more muscle than a less aggressive diet... The above studies show us that muscle loss is far from inevitable on an aggressive diet, but it would definitely be smart to eat lots of protein and lift weights, which brings me to my point here. There is very much a line where, okay, I'm dieting aggressively. Yeah, I'm hungry, but I can still more or less keep up my training performance. It's not like sucking my energy so much that I just feel like absolute shit when I train. And we, when we cross that line to where it's like, damn, I just don't even feel up at training, you're even more likely to maybe skip a session. Or when you go there, you just have no gas at all. That's potentially when we've crossed the line from, okay, this is an aggressive diet to this is a diet that's more than likely promoting muscle loss. Now, again, like these dudes in the second study, they were in a very large deficit, 40%. I think this is something that depends on the individual. Typically, I found around a 20 to 25% deficit is the upper end of the more aggressive we can get with an online client while still allowing for training. And the reality is most clients in this situation are chasing body recomposition. So like where I see the most application of this would be somebody that has a good amount of fat to lose but they're already relatively new to training. So we're going to be pushing them to build muscle and lose fat at the same time. But again, we still want training performance to be there. So we kind of tweak the deficit around within my metric tracker. We look at how is training performance? How is recovery? I see your numbers in true coach. So I see how you're progressing week to week. Are you improving on a set by set basis? And that's, and this is why as a coach is so important to track so much data. That's really what we adjust is around. But Again, studies seem to show that we can take this up to at least a 40% deficit. Anecdotally, it's probably closer to a 20 to 25% deficit for most people. Fat loss myth number three. Rapid fat loss sets you up for a weight rebound, which this is probably the most terrifying and most common myth of all. Now, this this supposedly inevitable rebound is often pinned on one of two culprits. One is the false belief that aggressive dieting breaks your metabolism. Now, this has already been thoroughly debunked. Um, I've talked about this a lot in my blog. I'm going to link a blog to this in the show notes where I talk about this. And I'm also going to link a blog about the Minnesota starvation experiment, um, a study that very much debunked this idea that you can quote unquote damage your metabolism. 
But definitely if you're still worried about like, okay, shit, is aggressive dieting going to break my metabolism? Check out the blogs in the show notes. Um, they're a much deeper dive into this topic than we can talk through here. As you've already guessed from the above um, or the previous conversation about what are the components of your metabolism, basal metabolic rate, thermic effect of food, non-exercise activity, and exercise activity, you'll realize that there's nothing there that you can really quote-unquote break. Um, but definitely dive into the blogs if you're still a bit unclear about this. Number two is the fact that rapid fat loss often comes through unsustainable methods slash poor dietary practices. Now, as far as a rapid fat loss situation setting you up for a weight rebound, there's a lot of validity to this argument. It's very true. And really, this is why most people regain the weight. Look, if you lose weight following a keto diet, but you haven't learned how to control calories outside of this, you're going to regain the weight. If you're consuming mostly meal replacement shakes for the duration of your diet, and you haven't learned how to control calories outside of this, again, you're going to regain the weight. But the problem here isn't aggressive dieting in itself. It's the use of unsustainable dietary practices and a lack of focused education on behavior change by coaches. You don't regain weight because you dieted aggressively. You regain it because you never learned a few key behaviors that my online clients focus on. Now, because this podcast is all about education, I want to dive into these because these are crazy important. Truly, this is why aggressive dieting gets such a bad rap because people do tend to regain the weight after an aggressive diet, but it's not because they dieted aggressively. It's because they followed a drastically different unsustainable protocol. Like no shit. If you strictly drink shakes to lose weight, you're going to regain the weight when you get sick of drinking shakes because you never learned any other strategy to lose or maintain weight other than just drink shakes. And that's not sustainable for anyone. So behavior number one is food selection. So the reality of the society we live in is most of our foods are designed to make us want to eat more. Pair this with the fact that most highly processed foods are also very calorie dense and low on nutrients and you have a combination that makes staying lean quite a challenge. So if you're already eating lots of hyper palatable foods, it will always be a struggle to avoid overeating because you'll always be hungry even at your maintenance intake. And while most of us can grind out 12 weeks of being super hungry on a diet, it's much harder to commit to a lifetime of being super hungry (laughs) just to maintain. A huge part of what I focus on with my online clients is teaching them how to habitually choose foods that are very filling per calorie. This essentially puts your appetite on auto-regulate and it makes it much harder to overeat. So in the simplest terms, 80 to 90% of your food should have either A, grown from the earth, or B, had a face at one point. Kind of a gross way of saying whole foods, but you get the idea. These foods are packed with nutrients that will make your body feel amazing, but create more optimal hormones. Um, They'll aid your training performance and your recovery. They'll also keep you full much longer, which is the key point here, than their highly processed counterparts. It's not that any of these foods are good or bad. And again, I encourage all of my online clients to get flexible 10 to 20% of the time because for most clients, that's what makes what we do. That's what makes this lean physique you accomplish when you work with me so sustainable. But if it gets to be like 50 to 60% um, highly processed foods, the reality is they're just going to digest quicker. Plus, many of them are engineered to make you want to eat more. So it's just going to be harder to control calories. 
Um, and a few guidelines to consider when selecting your foods. One, you should build your meals around protein and fiber. Lean proteins and fibrous carbs especially have a lot of volume and are very satiating per calorie. So if you make these foods a big focus of your diet, it'll keep hunger low and it will make your fat loss or your maintenance easier. So basically make an effort to include at least 25 to 50 grams of lean protein at each meal you eat. This is always your number one focus when selecting a meal. From there, make an effort to always include a fist-sized serving of fruit or veggies with each meal. Number two, don't drink your calories. So liquid will digest much quicker, meaning you're hungry again sooner. If you're using milk as a protein source, maybe swap it for cottage cheese or Greek yogurt. Go with a zero calorie soda and zero calorie energy drinks. Black coffee is always a good choice. And when it comes to alcohol, things like liquor in a zero calorie mixer, for example, vodka water, vodka soda, whiskey diet, etc., are smart if you want to have more than a few. Now, the reality is too, like if you're a fancy coffee drinker, um, I was going to say coffee snob, but you're not a coffee snob if you like, like super sugary coffees. Um, regardless, that's a different conversation. But if you like want to work things like that, same thing if you want like a super calorie dense drink a couple times a week, again, that's great. Go for it. Just work it in your calories. But if that's like a daily habit where you're having every morning, you're grabbing a like 400 calorie drink from Starbucks, literally you could lose nearly a pound of fat a week if you just swap that for a black coffee. So things like this, you always wanna consider like, how frequently do I need to have this to really enjoy it? What's the enjoyable dose? And the same thing goes for like a super sugary drink. Like if you wanna drink, I can't even think of like a super, um, a Mai Tai, um, I don't know what's in a Mai Tai, but, what I envision in my head right now is this like slushy, super sugary, alcoholic beverage, right? If you love Mai Tais, which again, I, I don't think that's actually what a Mai Tai is at all, but roll with it. And let's say it's 300 calories. If you just love those, you want to have a couple when you go out, great, working your calories. But after two, are you still going to keep enjoying those? As we consume more, our enjoyment per beverage, per food, whatever we're taking in, decreases. So after the first one or two, you're probably going to enjoy just as much like a vodka soda. So it makes sense to switch. It all comes back to really thinking through these things like how much of this do we need to enjoy versus what is really just overkill and I wouldn't enjoy this more than something that was a lot less calories. I think that that's clear. Um, and I'm, if you're a Mai Tai fan and I just butchered what a Mai Tai is, I'm pretty sure that's not what it is at all, but regardless, next find lower calorie versions of oils, dressings, and condiments. So swapping olive oil for a calorie free cooking spray, which still has calories. It's like for an eighth of a second spray, it's zero calories, but still a lot less. Like you'll probably use on average 10 to 15 calories of cooking spray versus like 120 via olive oil. Um, that's a great swap when feasible. So like an example of this often is like, Hey, instead of drizzling olive oil on your sweet potatoes, when you cook them in the oven, let's just spray them down quick with a zero calorie spray. And for many clients that literally will say to you like across the course of a week, hundreds of calories, find a lower calorie barbecue sauce or use a steak sauce, swap higher calorie salad dressings for a fat free vinaigrette. Often easy swaps here that clients literally don't even notice as far as taste goes will give you hundreds of extra calories to work with in a day. 
Next, try to avoid foods that are high in multiple macronutrients. So an example I like to use with online clients is A, you could eat a six ounce ribeye for 493 calories, which is 36 grams of protein and 39 grams of fat. Or you could eat an eight ounce sirloin, one large avocado for a total of a lot of math, 51 protein, um, 33 fat and 10 grams of carbs. So basically <laughs> the point here is they're very similar calorically. I think the sirloin and avocado comes out to like 502 calories or something along those lines versus 493 calories of ribeye. But with that eight ounce sirloin, you got more protein. You got a lot more food volume for very similar calories. So the reality is we could probably eat half of that meal and get the same amount of satiation as we got from the entire ribeye. So generally avoiding foods high in multiple macronutrients will make eating lots of food volume. Again, think the size of your food per calorie much easier, which in turn helps you feel more full on less calories. Now, the next behavior here we're gonna discuss is planning ahead. Because the reality of having both a flexible lifestyle and a lean body you feel supremely confident in is, it just takes some planning ahead. So I always encourage my online clients to look at planning as the quote unquote rent you pay for being able to enjoy your lifestyle and feel amazing in your body. So one of the biggest keys here is meal prep. Being prepared ahead nearly guarantees you'll be successful at sticking to the style of eating 80 to 90% of the time. You'll never quote unquote not have the right of food available or run out of time. Now this doesn't mean that every meal you eat for the rest of your life has to be prepped. But most of us just won't ever have the time to cook food that aligns with our goals three to five times per day. So truly, I would say 90% of my clients meal prep year round for at least one to two meals during the week. Most people during the weekends have time to cook, would rather go out, eat more. But those meals during the week, they don't. most of us don't really enjoy very many of our meals during the week that much. So it makes sense. Like, why not have the week be on track with your goals 100% just meal prep ahead. And then during the weekend, you'll have more room to get more flexible. Um, and then we can dive into different flexible dieting tools, which I teach my only clients. And really, this is um, a podcast in itself. But we can talk about things like intermittent fasting. So often on days a client knows they'll be going out and or eating a higher calorie meal later in the day, we can offset this by fasting until around noon. Black coffee and other zero, zero calorie drinks are fine here, but outside of that, you're trying to avoid calories. Um, and really a lot of my online clients almost always fast on Saturdays to allow for more flexibility in the evenings. We can eat a meal, <laughs> eat a meal of protein plus high fiber carbs before drinking. I call this a pre-drinking meal. Because really, the thing, alcohol itself doesn't make you gain weight. It's the fact that often we tend to drunk eat after we um, drink. So the best strategy to prevent this is simply to drink on a full stomach. So we're focusing on basically getting a meal of the most filling foods in immediately before we go out drinking. Something I've implemented with a ton of my clients. We can also push and pull calories. So if you've ever gone out on a Saturday and the next day thought, well, my diet's screwed, which I know I've been there. Um, really for most people, this leads to this kind of fuck it mindset, like fuck it. I already messed up. Just going to eat whatever for the next week and then I'll get back on track. But really a single day is easily correctable. The reality is that 
what we eat on a weekly basis makes much more difference than what we eat on a daily basis, which really makes very little difference. As long as your weekly calories are in alignment with your goals, so if you have 2,000 calories per day as your calorie target, if you eat 14,000 calories that week, regardless of how it's split up, we'll get very, very similar results if you end the week at 14,000 calories. So we can push and pull calories to kind of make up for or prepare ahead for um, going over or potential higher calorie days. And then finally, just planning ahead of time is a major key. When you start coaching with me, I will almost always have new clients plan out their days in my fitness pal the night before and shoot it ahead to me. So that day, weekday or weekend, you as a client go into the day with a good idea of how you need to eat to both enjoy your life a bit and hit your goals, which makes you a lot more likely to succeed. And then the final behavior we're going to talk about here is movement. So one of the biggest differences we see between the metabolisms metabolisms of individuals who are naturally lean and those who have lost a large amount of weight is their NEAT or non-exercise activity. So post-weight loss, levels of NEAT will naturally be suppressed for a bit. And if this is unaccounted for, this can and often does lead to weight regain. This means that maintaining a consistent movement goal post-diet is very important for long-term maintenance. And again, this is why so many of my clients focus on fat loss have movement goals. Now, the point of all this is rapid weight loss in itself doesn't cause weight regain. It's the fact that people don't take the time to learn the necessary strategies and and behaviors to sustain weight loss long term. Now, depending on the aggressiveness of the diet, things like quote unquote practicing going out every weekend might not be feasible, which makes a post diet phase to practice maintenance, like I talked about before, even more important. So the reality is like, hey, if you're following a super aggressive diet, you might not be able to go out as often as you see yourself doing in the future. But when this diet is over, I'm not just going to send you on your way. We're going to take some time like, okay, you've, you've achieved the result. Now let's focus on cementing the result. Let's practice what your lifestyle looks like when we're not working together anymore. So I can teach you how to make this work forever instead of just something you did for a couple months and then lost your results. So if you haven't already connected the dots, this is why many of my online clients are following aggressive diet protocols. Long drug out timelines for dieting are the reason many people fall off the diet in the first place. Let's say you have 25 pounds to lose in order to achieve that lean body composition you've always wanted. And I told you as your coach that I wanted you to lose about a quarter pound per week, a very conservative pace because slow and steady, right? Let's say a quarter to a half pound a week. A quarter pound is that's stupid slow, but this means that you're looking at a minimum of, even if you're losing a half pound a week, a minimum of 50 weeks of dieting. Knowing that you're not even that close to the end of the process is incredibly demotivating for most people. You fall off the wagon and you never get as lean as you want. And this is the crux of the problem with overly conservative dieting for so many people. These long drug out timelines are the thing that caused many people to quit. So the goal behind a more aggressive diet is we wrap the diet up sooner. For many online clients, this approach makes it more likely that you'll actually be able to reach your desired end goal and reach your long-term maintenance phase sooner rather than later. Again, that's the whole idea behind all of this. And for me, part of the shift in this direction, when I first started leaning towards 
being more aggressive with many clients, especially like at the start of the fat loss process, the reality is again, like coaching is very individualized. So depending on your life, depending on how things are going, depending on how you're feeling, we'll adjust whether we're more aggressive or less aggressive. So often we'll start the process more aggressive because I was seeing with some online clients, I would have the occasional online client that would start coaching. We would one to two weeks, they wouldn't see any changes. And then after that, I just couldn't get them to do shit (laughs) to be straight up and they never got the result. They left coaching and that really, really frustrated me and bummed me out because, well, I knew that what they were doing was they were on the right track. I wanted them to, I actually wasn't able to help them because I didn't get buy-in from them right out of the gate. Now, again, we can take this conversation so many directions. Many people do need time to practice all these skills. Some people aren't going to be ready to diet when they start coaching, and that's just the reality. And that's on you and I as coaches, if you're a coach listening to this, to set that expectation before they start coaching. However, in this context here, these were people that were, and this was more when I was, it's been some time, because this was when I was more on the train of like, yeah, we always want to be more conservative with clients. And I was having these clients, again, that <laughs> they were in a good place to diet, but the approach that I was taking with them was so quote unquote slow and steady, they weren't seeing results. Whereas now I found that with many more clients, and again, it very much depends on the client's personality type, which we'll talk about in a second, but we can get much better buy-in, much more excitement if we create more rapid fat loss right out of the gate, especially if it's someone that has a lot more fat to lose. Now, Again, to be clear, I'm not saying that everyone should diet aggressively. Like everything else within online coaching, it depends on you as a client. So do you want lots of lifestyle flexibility and freedom to enjoy foods and drinks at frequent social events during the diet? Then you're likely not a good candidate for an aggressive approach. But I would recommend that you check out my free lifestyle diet ebook in the link in the show notes. And that'll take you through very much the strategies that I use with my clients that want to learn how to make this a very sustainable lifestyle during the diet. They do like to go out multiple times a week. They do want to work in a bit more alcohol, eating out, things like that. If you're competing in sports or a performance style of training or performance driven style of training more than two to three times per week, for example, CrossFit, again, you're probably not a good fit because we need to be fueling your body. If you have a poor relationship with food, then the reality is you're likely not in a good position to be dieting, period. Um, I wouldn't push you to go on a diet by any means. Work on that first. Do you just find the idea of eating a bit less for longer, less daunting than an aggressive diet? In that case, again, a more conservative approach is probably better. So again, like everything, this has to be individualized. We have to take into account all the things that make you as an individual unique. What's your personality type like? But basically we can look at, okay, what's your training like? (laughs) Would you rather get there quicker and have less flexibility or get there a little bit slower and have more flexibility? Which of these sounds less daunting to you? And that's a good way to at least get a feel for what's the best fit for the client. All right. So before we wrap this up, let's just get into a couple guidelines for aggressive at dieting. So first and foremost, a larger deficit is of course required. So generally I have found again that 20 to 25% below maintenance levels are a good point where we're aggressive, but we're not so aggressive that your training quality goes to absolute shit. 
High protein seems to be essential, both for maintaining muscle and to keep you satiated throughout the diet. Here, I would push you to eat 1.2 to 1. I would generally push a client to eat 1.2 to 1.5 grams of protein per pound of body weight. Um, as far as their rate of loss, I really like Martin McDonald's approach here, which is first and foremost, find an accurate measurement of your body fat. And two, divide your, divide, divide, damn, that's a hard word to say, <laughs> your percent body fat by 13, being more aggressive, to 20, being less aggressive. Anywhere in that range, depending on how aggressive you want to be, the product of this percentage of your total body weight, or the product of this is the percentage of your total body weight you can lose per week while minimizing muscle loss in the process. Now, that said, since most of us don't have access to an accurate way to measure body fat percentage. If you're not lean at all, most can push to lose 1.5 to 2% of body weight per week. Uh, let's say one to 2% of body weight per week. If you're relatively lean, but definitely not shredded, most can push to lose say 0.6 all the way up to 1.25% of body weight per week. And if you're already super lean, you just don't have much weight to lose. So closer to 025 to 0.5% of body weight per week is realistic. But at this point, we're talking about again, you are already pretty damn lean. You just can't shed that much more fat off your body. And again, training will crash through the floor if we're overly aggressive here. Next, you definitely want to lift weights three to six times per week. This, of course, contributes to muscle maintenance and or gain and also increases metabolism. This is exactly why, like a client that's chasing a recomp, I want to do your training and nutrition, not just your nutrition, because we want to make sure that all these factors are on point. Hit a consistent step goal. <laughs> I have already talked about this so many times throughout this episode. I don't think we need to dive into that again. Um, most will benefit from taking a diet break every six to 12 weeks. Anecdotally sticking to a diet aggressive or not longer than six to 12 weeks is very challenging for most. So while you're still dieting aggressively, occasional diet breaks are a good idea for adherence. Now, some will also adhere better with, uh, what I call a floating refeed. So like we talked about before, the biggest key to fat loss is finding a plan you can successfully stick to. So even in the case of aggressive fat loss, this means that clients often need, often need one day of higher calories every few weeks. This restores your sanity, basically, allows you to work in more flexible foods, and get back to the diet game the next day in a much better place mentally. Now, the floating refeed is a single optional day at maintenance. You can implement one of these every two weeks on the day of your choosing. In the most ideal world, these extra calories would come from carbs to refill your glycogen stores, but the reality is this is mostly an adherence tool. So I'd let carbs and fats fall as desired within your overall calories for the day. Just be sure to hit your protein goal. And if you wanna optimize everything, make this mostly from carbs. That said, if you don't feel the need to take the refeed and would rather just keep pushing along the fat loss, feel free to skip it. Next, track your metrics and progress. As always, tracking data is a huge part of you being successful. If you're not tracking your body weight at least three times a week, your body measurements, your monthly progress pictures, biofeedback, macros, and steps, you have no system to assess your progress and no way of knowing where the issue lies if you're not making progress. This is exactly why I'm such a stickler about my online clients filling out their trackers crazy consistently. 
Um, have a plan for the diet after the diet. So this is where you as an online client see the progress you made over the last few months and establish this body composition as your new normal. In this case, I would definitely check out my blog on the 3P fat loss method to learn more about how I structure the diet after the diet. And finally, hire a coach. If you struggled to lose fat or you struggled staying lean in the past, you'll benefit tremendously from the education, structure, accountability, and expert guidance that working with a nutrition coach provides. It's an investment upfront that sets you up for quicker progress and a lifetime success after we're done working together. Link is in the show notes as well to apply for online coaching with me. And that is all I have for you guys today. Thank you for tuning in.